Welcome to the Fitness Candor Podcast. Your host, Eric Feigl, will be bringing you the truth about exercise and the fitness industry. You'll hear from fitness professionals, exercise science professors and researchers, fitness industry entrepreneurs and leaders, as well as people who simply love to talk shop. Stick around after the show to learn how you can get your topic in an upcoming episode. Enjoy the show. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Fitness Canner Podcast. As always, I am your host, Eric Feigl. Uh, today's guest is Coach Al Vermeil, who is the only strength coach to have world championship rings from both the NFL and the NBA. He's also the only strength coach who has been in the NFL, NBA, and MLB. So uh, you guys probably forgotten more than I'll ever know about strength and conditioning, or most of us will ever know about strength and conditioning. So it's going to be a great honor to have him on. Coach, thanks for joining the show. I appreciate it, obviously. So what I really want to go into is your background, just a little bit of your background um, into specifically strength training and how you've seen it progress, which I'm sure over the past, you know, 40 years. 50. You're talking, I've I've been at it for almost, uh, see, 19, I've been, I started lifting 57 years ago. So I've been. Yeah. So, so you've seen, so you've seen the gauntlet. Right. So, yeah, I've seen a lot of things change. Basically, my background, I started lifting as a a freshman in high school. Two of my friends, uh, my brother's ex-football coach came up and gave me my first weight program in in 1960. It's actually Christmas of uh, 59. And it was the program that really came out of LSU, out of Alvin Roy, who was really the godfather of all of us, along with Clyde Emmerich. A lot of people don't know who Clyde is. He was a world-class weightlifter, world record holder. I think he was the first man in the 198-pound class when they had that to clean and jerk 400. And he was with the Chicago Bears. First, he trained guys at the YMCA, and then the Bears hired him. So I started then, lifted all through high school and college. And, uh, you know, we didn't have any strength coaches. You just did it on your own. And, uh, uh, you know, basically, uh, then when I went to high school, the first fellow I worked for, Gary Collinborn, said, well, you lifted weights, run the off-season program. So I did that for four years at Castle Robley, one year interrupted with a graduate assistantship for a master's at Kansas State. And then I went to Moreau High School, and being I had, you know, it running the off-season program, not just weightlifting, the sprinting, and then eventually got to know Don Chu and put in, got into plyometrics way back in uh, 67, uh, 76, excuse me. And then in uh, 79, I went to the 49ers for four years and then started my own business and ended up in Chicago working for the White Sox and Bulls just a couple years for the Sox. And then I worked the rest of the time for the Bulls full-time to 01 and then was just uh, a... Uh, I was always a consultant, but I just was there uh, about seven to eight months a year and then retired in 07. In terms of what I've seen change, when we first started lifting, the military press is how you measured your upper body strength because it it was in the Olympic Games at that time. Uh, In fact, I can remember listening to the radio and listening to Tommy Kono uh, on the, the news that he had broke a world record in the press, and I got the privilege of meeting Mr. Konok a few years ago, which is a great privilege. And uh, so uh, that was one of the things, and everything was pretty basic. You know, 
just trained. And then I started training my junior year, six days a week, different lifts on different days. And I was also a high school shot putter and a baseball player. And I played a little basketball my first year, but that was the end of that. It was a very small school, 150 kids. So everybody got to participate. And I played football. Uh, so, you know, it was pretty basic. And then I saw the machines come in, the Universal Gym. Yep. In the late 60s, early 70s, Chuck Coker. And uh, I always maintained that I thought free weights was the best way to train because of your standing. Now, they didn't call it ground base or kinetic chain and all that, closed kinetic chain and all this. It just made sense. And during college, I'd had some problems where I couldn't squat anymore because I didn't know how to work. I basically had some facet joint problems. They'd get locked. And in those days, they didn't really, you know, I didn't know how to treat them. So I didn't get to squat. And I noticed that my explosive power at the end of my playing career at Utah State, I didn't think it was as good. And I didn't know how to power clean. I muscle cleaned 280 with a non-Olympic bar at about 180 pounds one time. But I didn't I didn't know how to clean. But I knew it was a good exercise. So in the when I was at Castle Roble in the early 70s, I started researching and finding people. And I went to Moreau High School. Then I found a gentleman named uh, Jim Schmitz. Had him over. Then I had, uh, who was big into Olympic lifting. And then I had Russ Nip, a former world record holder. Then I had Carl Miller, who most people don't know, was a great coach out of New Mexico, come in. And by the time I got 49ers uh, uh, in 1979, and I, of course, Don and I were very close friends. So I integrated plyometrics uh, in 76. And we were uh, a for former guy who was a grad assistant at Kansas State sent me the downhill running program that Frank Costello was using out of Maryland. And I put that in and we ran up and down very, it, the big thing, I don't like assisted sprints, but I, what I liked about the downhill, and here's the key point to this. Okay. If you're going to run downhill, if you run four, five flat on the flat, don't speed them up more than about four, eight, five, no more than 5%. Because if you speed them up more than five percent, you're going to stub. In other words, the foot's going to get in. You're going to. And what really people don't talk about, but sprinting is the ultimate expression of the stretch earning cycle. Because your ground contact, ground, excuse me, my your ground contact time is the shortest than any plyometric drill you can do. World-class sprinters, I think it's down to point eight something now. Oh wow! I mean, point eight, but. And so what we would do, we'd run, we'd do the mock drills that later I got to understand. I first got them from Vern Gambetta. And then I got Charlie Francis, who and I became great friends. But the thing about downhill sprinting, now I'm not advocating for a world-class sprinter because you get, but you've got to be in shape. You just don't start it. And the thing to do, we would come out of a stance, um, uh, the other way to do it is a gradual acceleration. But at the time at Moreau, we were doing uphill and downhill, plyometrics, Olympic lifting. And again, now that's when the Nautilus thing came in, you know, one set of 10 to failure. Right. And one set of 10 to failure is training to fail. And what people don't understand, whether it's free weights or machines, especially in this, anytime you train to failure, that means your muscles are not protecting your joints. Those are what stabilize and protect and cushion the joint, especially overhead. So I've always believed you leave one more rep that someone can do. 
Uh, I don't like to do <clears throat> to failure, especially on exercises. I've never done it, but like a squat. I don't, to me, someone should squat and stand up. I don't want them struggling and are pressing and the bars taking forever to get up and to do those things. So, sure. uh, what what I saw with the Nautilus concept, and I understood what they were talking about. I understood. And the thing about the machines, and there, in fact, there is an, an article in Pro Magazine in 1979. They interviewed me. They interviewed Nautilus. And I said, the problem is you don't play sit, sitting down. You play standing. And, well, now you would talk about closed chain, multiple joints, uh, stability of the joint. So when I was in Moreau, we did those things and we did something a little unique. I would get on, I would have the kids stand on a bench press bench and I had read where if that shot putters would step off a box and throw the shot. So right. I had the kids step off a, a, a bench press bench and hit a bag. We called them in depth blocks. So, uh, you know, anyway, we were doing all those things and basically my concepts and program never never left those principles. I always believe if you want to be fast or explosive, you got to train fast. Now you got to have a conditioning base behind that. Then I went to 49ers and did the basically same thing. I brought in more people, uh, different people I brought in. And then when I went to bulls, I brought in when I went and here's the thing for young coaches. If you want to learn, go get around good coaches, right? Because experience is the greatest thing, teacher. I don't care how many books you read, how many people you bring in. So uh, I would advise them to find someone. If you're in, in up in Oregon, there's Jeff Macy, who used to work for me, does a great job at Oregon State. If you go to Mike Catone, he works for USOC, and I think he does some uh, clinics for uh, Alico. I mean, there are different people that uh, Eric Hillen up at the University of Wisconsin was my assistant, did, did a great job for 16 years. But find, there's Frank Elston. Uh, Elston, Frank Exton in Indiana. There's just, you got to find people and, and Rob Panarella up in New York, Don Shue in California. You've got to go watch people and absorb that because as a young coach, you haven't seen enough things done right. And uh, so when I was the Bulls, I mean, we brought in, uh, we brought in Carmelo Bosco, the late Carmelo Bosco, and he and I became great friends. That's someone they should look up. I brought in Kale Hackenden. I brought in, of course, Panarella, uh, Charlie Francis. Uh, Jesus, there's a ton of guys. Uh, Mel Siff, <laughs> Charles Pollockin. I mean, uh, and of course, Dragomir Sorosian. Uh, uh, just a, a, an, an interesting character out of York Barbell. A guy named Schmitty, who, who was very good and knowledgeable. So I just uh, tried to bring in as many people as I could to learn from brought in Lauren Seagrave. So you, you just try to get, expand your knowledge. Now the thing coaches have to understand when you take something from an individual sport and Don would tell you this, his box heights that he used for his jumpers were going to be more than you'd use with a normal athlete because they were genetically gifted to do it. So every sport you take, you look at it. Okay. There's their volumes. There's their intensities. Now I'm working with a team sport athlete. And the big difference between an individual sport athlete, they only have to be good on a competition that leads them to the next competition. So there are competitions they do that's not important, so they're not peaked. 
where in, in team sports, first of all, you have an upside down pyramid. The Caesar's long, longer than the time to prepare. So anyway, I brought all these kind of people. I'm forgetting names. And oh, I brought a lot of uh, sports medicine people in too. And I, Dr. Lutz, Dr. Lagatuda, uh, uh, geez, uh, Jeff Coverly, uh, oh, Mark Comerford, Pete Emerson, all world-class PTs. And, and there was a great PT in, in Chicago named Mary Evans. So I just spent a, uh, and I know, I'm not you're not answering your question, but that's the thing I did. <laughs> And that's what thing that young coaches, you got to go out and meet nutritionists in terms of the changes, you know, the Nautilus thing kind of slowed down and then the hammer strength. <clears throat> and then everybody started talking about ground-based training, and, and which is just standing on your feet. I think the thing is what's changed is the ability to get information. When I first started, you yeah. couldn't find anybody to teach you how to do the lifts. You had to go out and research them. Or <clears throat> I was fortunate with Don. Well, now you, the national strength coaches, have done a great job with their two journals. A lot of good information. Uh, you, there's a lot of good seminars to go to, uh, perform better. I mean, you, you, there's all over the country. They have these. Now the thing you have to learn is disseminate who knows what they're talking about. Right. And who what they tell you at the seminar or clinic, are they doing <clears throat> The internet has a lot of good sites, but you gotta be careful. Uh, what I call one hit wonders. And uh, there was a player in the NFL that they had on a, on a jump up on this high box. And his coach was, I'm sure he did a very good job. He was the next guru. Well, when that player's done playing, then it's the next guy. And uh, you have to know how to look at what someone's telling you. You know, it's like then became the kettlebell. Oh, boy, that was a secret. If we didn't do the kettlebell, you weren't going to get strong. Yeah, you know, right. when someone comes over here and speaks with a foreign accent, then they're smarter than everybody. You know, one thing I found about dealing with people from Eastern Europe, be careful. They don't. <laughs> they, grew up in a system, they grew up in a system where they had to protect themselves. Right. And I grew up when the great red scare and all that stuff, but uh, they did a great job. But, you know, even some of the things they talk about their jump training and stuff, you never, not everybody finished their jump training because it was very severe. So uh, I had so, someone I know asked uh, one of the Bulgarian coaches, isn't this hard on their lifters? He said, there's casualties in every war. So you've got to be, you take everything with a little bit of a grain of salt, Sure. And when you learn something new, you go try it. You feel it. You And then we'll, we'll go from there. But uh, the thing you have to be careful on the Internet, some of the information, it, things getting, things always go in trend. You know, is, oh, we shouldn't back squat. Then we shouldn't do this. And I think a lot of people's uh, concepts of who say that are taken out of context. And then you should all put your foot up in this, do the single leg squat, Bulgarian squat. Well, now, if you think about, you put your foot up on a box. So say I have my right leg up on a box and my left leg is back. Your left hip is already in full extension. So when right. you squat down, your pelvis on the left side can't move more. you got to be careful. That's going to cause some SI joint problems. There isn't an exercise that can't cause a problem. And there probably isn't an exercise that someone shouldn't do. So you've got to find out maybe this person shouldn't back squat because they can't do it correctly. They're anatomically not built to do it correctly. They don't right. have the preparation. 
So you, you take, instead of saying never, you say, okay, there are exceptions. And then you find what you can do. For example, when I was the Bulls, Horace Grant was one of the few players I pulled off the floor because he had perfect proportions. And I didn't do it all the time. B.J. Armstrong's inseam on his, was 39 inches, and he was only 6'3". So there was no way you're going to pull him off the floor. So you adapt to what each person can do. And the older you get, the more you have to adapt, especially if you get a player that's older later in their career. But so I, to summarize it, I've seen it go from free weights to machine to Nautilus to hammer strength, and we're kind of back to free weights, and then the kettlebells came in. And there's nothing wrong with the kettlebell. It's a good tool. The thing I think it's best for, and what Verkoshansky used it for, was uh, uh, jump squats because it doesn't put the pressure on your back. Right. And, you know, you know and, and so I, I think that is really good. I'm not a big fan of the Turkish get up because if I've got to teach a player to get up off the ground, then he must be a motor moron. Number two, <laughs> everybody says the core. Jesus. Now, I'm I know. a person, personal friend of Mark Comfort's, and I was just down in, in, in uh, Fort Myers, a former intern to me twice, does a great job down there. Rick Ladelman has a nice business called Beyond Motion. If you're in Fort Myers area, go see him. And I was saying, I said, you don't think you're squat? I said, just standing, you're using your core. Everything. I said, and uh, a gentleman, I think it's one of the Southwest Missouri, I'm not sure, did a, uh, Tom Nesser did a study and found that the squat was much better for core development than the plank. Yeah, you know, plank's good lead up exercise. But what I'm saying, everybody got in the core, like, ooh, make sure you're activating it. It's going to activate. Hell, you couldn't stand up if it didn't. Right, exactly. It, it, and what you're doing, and I've talked to all the Australians. Uh, I got to meet Paul Hodges, the one that brought all the TA. All that stuff was developed for people who were injured. And now we're doing a half hour of prehab. Oh, we got to activate your core before you do this. I'm going, oh, the other great one is your glutes, glutes aren't firing. Someone said, well, this guy squats 400, but wait till I get his glutes firing. I'm, I'm just look, shaking my head. Yeah. It's it's too much of that stuff on the internet, and too much cutesy wootsy, oh, and you know, and then they get eighty seven exercises. And the other thing with the kettlebell, everybody has a kettlebell swing, and I understand why they're doing it, but you've got to be very careful because if you look at it, it's more of a lumbar, it's a hip extension, but you can get your lumbar spine shearing. Yeah, you can. And what I like to do, when you're in athletics, you extend from the ankle, knee, and hip. The, so why not do an exercise, a jump, a high pull if you don't want to turn it over, something that integrates it all in the fashion you're going to play in. The other thing in training, you never have enough time. You never have enough. I don't care how much time you've got. So uh, I, I think the other great thing I've seen come through the years is the planning. I mean, we didn't call it periodization. I just made an off-season plan. I didn't know it was periodization. I didn't <laughs> I didn't know what the hell that was. <laughs> and then uh, the other thing, the, the uh, double periodization, well, advanced from what I did at Moreau High School, to, uh, talking to Charlie Francis. Well, when I was Moreau, the winter program, because it was raining in California, it wasn't sunshine. So we basically lifted and did short jumps upstairs in the weight room on the wrestling mat. Then in the spring, we had our, our spring football for 20 days which was a lot of our speed. Then in the summer, we would lift weights 
four or five days a week for 45 minutes, but everything else was uh, our sprint work, our conditioning work, our jumps. And when I was at Moreau, I called Don. I said, what if after we do a squat, we bound in between and build fast strength? Well, now that's called complex training. Right. I just did it because it made sense. Uh, the other thing that I hear a lot about now is teaching deceleration. I said, well, every time you move and change, you decelerate. And we had a little 30-second station thing I'd gotten from Bim Skipson that had lateral change in direction, backward change in direction, and had all, you know, jump over a bag, change it, just different. And I, I figured out we were changing direction three times, 3,000 times in the summer, but I never, I never taught deceleration because the drill did it. <laughs> right. I, yeah. I, everybody's getting into breaking. Every, ooh, we got to teach this. We got to teach. If you've got to teach all those guys that much, you've got the wrong people playing for you. <laughs> well, it sounds like, you know, the, over the years, obviously you've, I mean, just you explained everything you just saw and the list can go on, but it sounds like, you know, you start at one point, you mentioned the kettlebell several times. That's not something new. You know, those oh, things are bit, the the, super old. It's probably the oldest thing that you mentioned. It was you know? a cannonball with a weight put on it. Exactly. And then the, the, the newest things that we have now are the machines, right? So you, if you kind of see this like rehashing of things from the past and then the things that have already been done, like quote unquote, the core activation, like you said, you've been doing it with, with squats, people need to, to make it flashy. And so then they say, well, that's core activation. But you're already doing those motions. Well, what Bob Aleo said it best, he said, tell me what you call it. I'll tell you, tell me what it is. I'll tell you what we used to call it. And in fact, Dr. Ed Thomas out of Iowa, I've got pictures of the, like the pec deck yeah. from the 1800s. He showed me a picture of a, a, a guy stepping off a bench to do an in-depth jump in the 1890s. Yeah. And he showed me the razor curl all in the 1800. So it, all we've done, and here's the great thing that has improved. They uh, guys like uh, Bill Kramer, Dr. Heff, John Garhammer, Mike Stone. I mean, all the great sports scientists. Uh, oh God, I can't, I can't, I'm having a hard time. To, and I'll think of his name out of Ireland. I can't think of his name. God, he's a good friend of mine. Now I get seen out senility. They've done research, and now you know what exactly the effects of each thing is. And that's been a huge, at least to me, advantage. Uh, so the other thing they have to be careful is you have to develop a philosophy. And if you don't, then you're kind of picking the flavor of the month. Well, this guy's doing this, so I'll do that. Right. Or this guy's doing that. They won the national championship. And I said 30 years ago or more, 40, I said, if, if USC won the national championship lifting weights naked, you would go in some weight room the next year and they would be doing it. Right. <laughs> That's just monkey see, monkey do. So I think, uh, you know, and I, I was talking about periodization. So we had a double periodization in high school, but I didn't realize it because the second period, I decreased the amount of work on strength and increased the more on running and speed development and jumps. But I didn't know it was a double periodization. You know, so a lot of things we did by accident. And the one thing that has been done a lot is a lot more evaluation, which I think is good. I think it's gotten carried over now. If your little toe moves this way, you can't do yeah, anything. Right, definitely. And if you just watch, here's the most important evaluation tool. If you're working with an athlete, can they play? 
if, if and I'm talking athletic, if they can't play, there is nothing you're going to do. Now you get a young high school freshman, you can make an offensive lineman out of kids, but they still have to have some athletic and instinct for the sport. If you have no instinct for a sport, if you have no instinct for a strength coach, if you can't communicate, forget it. But so uh, the testing is important to me. The number one test is they can play how fast they are. If they can run fast, they can jump high. That's just a given. Can they overhead squat? But here, first you go, can they squat? Can they overhead squat? But now at the bottom of that overhead squat, can they take a stick and press it? Because if they can do that, that means they have great shoulder and thoracic mobility. Right. So why can't you start them training on body weight circuits? Now, you can do some of the other tests, change the direction. But if they can play, they can already change the So if you then can start to train them instead of spend six months doing all this other stuff. And I got something from, I forgot to mention, from Steve Javoric Strength Complex. That's a great evaluator. Oh, you just go through it. You can see all the problems. And you're just using something light. So I think the evaluation is good. Greg Cook's done a great th service right. by, by having the movement screen. screen. Yep. Uh, and, and, you know, he, it, it, from a standpoint of not that you have to do it, but, okay, let's let's evaluate. Let's look at movement. So I, yeah. I, Greg deserves kudos on that. And uh, so there's I, – I think there's a lot more out there that you can – that's more defined. We did things more from instinct because I was an athlete. I was a very good high school shot putter. I threw 54-9. I would have finished well in the state here in Ohio this year. You know, in California, I didn't even get the state meet with that. Wow. No, you had to throw 60 out there. And that's 1963. I threw the 16-pound the, uh, in one indoor meet 50 feet. At, and I'm only, I was only 5'8 and a half, 200. But, uh, and I was... Play, I was a very good baseball player. So I played a lot of sports. And in high school, I literally played every position for at least one play in a football game, except quarterback. I played single wing tailback because we ran out of quarterback. So I was the fastest kid in school. So I play, you know, I, it, it, when you're school 150 and you got 20 kids on the team, you learn to play a lot of different positions, <laughs> which right. is a great advantage. But <laughs> I, I think the young, my biggest recommendation, go find people who don't hype themselves. That's the thing you got to be careful. You don't hear Rob Panarello saying, I'm the greatest or Don Chu or, or the people I mentioned. Uh, I'm still trying to think of the gentleman in Ireland. Is that terrible? Liam Hennessy, great man, learned a lot. I've spoken to Dr. Schmidt Blanker on the phone. Uh, so I just go out and get with a sports scientist. You got Bill Kramer right up here at uh, Ohio State. Uh, and a couple good, if you're in Southern California, go watch Sal Alosha. I'll tell you what, he's as good as they get. He gets it done. I mean, he's a man's man. Another great guy is David Feely at Temple. I've watched these people work. I'm not reading a book about them or a, a YouTube commercial. <laughs> and uh, so you, you go find a good strength coach. Go watch him train. And... Uh, that's what you, you need to do. It's tough and professional anymore because they don't yeah. give them any off-season. It's ridiculous. I mean, <laughs> now you can't have two-a-days. You know, with my high school kids, we had first four years, we had three days. The next two years, we, we had four-a-days. <laughs> well, let's, let's, go back, let's go back for a second because don't you think, like, what you said is so important about going and learning because you have to find 
what those experts are doing and then find out if it works for the segment for the population that you're you're, that you're trying to with. adapt yeah exactly because otherwise you're doing exactly what you said earlier you're just taking what's hot at the moment and whoever you're working with regardless if it's going to be right or not you're going to do it and the most important thing doesn't make common sense yeah the, and it's going to keep somebody safe right yeah and and you just and here's the key thing is progression and that the athletes you'll screw up with the most that you'll screw up with the most is is a very good athlete who's fast and explosive and coordinated and here's what you'll do you'll progress them beyond the, the intensities or volume they should be handling because they can do it and you get excited but you got to remember the t tendons and ligaments take longer to adapt than muscles and the discs take longer than that so you've got to you when you get those stallions you've got to rein yourself in <laughs> a little bit and and that that's the hardest thing here's the other thing i was privileged to work with great athletes i mean the only reason you're talking to me is not because what i did at Moreau high school although i think that was the best coaching job i ever did is because i worked with some, some great teams some great players but when you get someone that's got it like a horace grant or ronnie lott they need less training less stimulus because they get the stimulus so it's kind of like okay they you know it's like in in the classroom this person gets it and moves to the next formula where mm -hmm. the people like me were there for a year on it don't once they so if you go in there three sets or four sets is better than six for them because they get it and the other thing their nervous system output is so much greater they're putting much more stress on the body yeah so you have to understand the plow horse you can do more with more sets more volumes this the kentucky derby it's quality yep not quantity yeah. exactly yeah so sometimes you get those athletes who and those people in general who you know you can take to the ringer and they won't stop and they'll get good good results but if you back off that little bit like you said they'll probably get even better results that here's rest a, takes place here's another great tip for that I found, especially when you're in your real speed phase and power phase, why can't you go two weeks work, one week unload? There's, well, that's not the way everybody did it. Well, I found athletes, my son was one of them, he was a very good athlete, is that the third week was when you'd break down. So why not unload them and avoid it? Hmm. You know, everybody put it into one month because it yeah. fit nicely. That doesn't mean it has to be done. And in fact, with Horace Grant one time, we took him up to big volume, and then I cut it in half the next week. Big volume and cut. It worked good. You know, so not, nothing is carved in stone. And I think Charlie Francis said it best. There are no absolutes. No. Nope. You can't say that. Well, if I did this with everybody, I'm going to get that result. No, because right. DNA proves we're all different. Exactly. Exactly. You Before I let you go here, um, I do want to talk a little bit, because you mentioned it, about the importance of thoracic mobility, because I know you're involved with uh, TPI. Yes. And and so can you just give us like a brief background of that and maybe some suggestions for, for people who are well, really interested in that? Well, the reason I know about thoracic mobility, because I lost it. You know, I didn't do any of that. And I didn't, you know, my training methods when I was training. Uh, so 
you know, I've been to PTs and if you have real stiff thoracic spine, you've got to get a good manual therapist. But I have a four inch foam roller I lay on because what I like about it, mm-hmm. it allows my shoulders to drop. And okay. then I have a little ball I just got and I, I don't have the name of it right in front of me. Here it is. But it's a little ball. It has two balls like tennis balls, but they're soft yeah. and they roll and it's called uh uh, it's like a peanut. T- no, it's called tptherapy.com. It's called tptherapy.com, and it's called Trigger Point. Oh yeah. But it's two of them together, and it, it rolls down your spine. So the yep. thing is, I use this, the foam roller, lay over a uh, physio ball. Is another good thing, and yep. you just and then you just got to get someone. I have a blue Colton born wedge, and I have my wife mobilize it. But thrashing mobility and what the real problem is going to be today is because all those things, kids are on the computers, on their phones. No one talks to anybody anymore. Well, and adults, right? I mean, how many, how many people are sitting behind desks hunched over for nine, 10 hours a day? One of the things you should have your adults or suggest is to get, I like, it's hard to find uh, OTP. It's where I get my uh, four inch four foot long foam roller and the reason i say that the big six inch or whatever it is is so wide my shoulder blades can't go down right so anything you can do to increase thoracic extension is really important because nothing will make you older than that right yeah i mean that that's why you see people who well then you're talking about rotation you're talking about flexion extension the whole nine yards right then you're limited yeah. forever you know how we got involved with tv tpi no. Is, uh, I'm a personal friend of Chuck Cook. He and I have been friends for 40 years almost. And I met him through the great late Jim Flick, who was an outstanding teacher. And Chuck and I, he's given me lessons. And I've, his fitness program results are a lot better than my golf swing because I'm not a very good golfer. <laughs> but, uh, so he suggested to Greg Rose that he get bring me on as part of the one of many. So that's how I got involved with him and Greg and uh, Dave Phillips do a great job. Greg is a brilliant guy, brilliant guy. And uh, that's how I got involved. But I played golf as a kid until high school. And my late father-in-law had a place in the summer up in Lake Tahoe and had a little nine hole course. And I went out and started playing and got hooked again. And my wife played both my kids. And now my grandson's going to play on the golf team. So uh, I love the game. I, I would rather take lessons and play. I love the learning experience. And I've taken oh. lessons from, <laughs> you name them, I've taken. I've played around round of golf with Bob Toskin, Davis Love's dad one time when I did a golf oh, school, wow. which I intimidated. Here's the, these guys. Can really play. <laughs> and I played around. Chuck got, uh, I was fortunate. Chuck, uh, I got to play with Chuck and Tom Kite. And I worked with the lane, late Payne Stewardess last year. I gave him a medicine ball program. And then Chuck took and said okay here's how we use it when you're playing but uh uh it's i've i always love to play with better players people say aren't you intimidated i said i love to watch someone do it right yeah it is just any any athlete whether it be michael jordan shooting a jump shot or montana throwing a pass or randy cross making a great block or Horace making a, a great player, Scotty or Johnny Paxson or any of those guys. So, you know, and I think the one thing young strength coaches don't get excited about always working with the best athlete. Treat, give all of them attention because a real coach is a person who can help, help them, help the one that 
he that he or she's right on the borderline of even making the team that you might make a help through their hard work never take credit for anything you've done with an athlete or right. private client you through your knowledge and influence you can help them maximize their genetic potential because you can only get closer to what you've been given you can't you know you can't pick your mom and dad so uh, i always enjoyed working with a person that wasn't always as good because that's the challenge and uh, i think the one thing that if you have someone, especially you get in the college professional level, if they're not quite as good as everybody else, don't give them something they can fail at because they already perceive they're a failure because they're not first team. I've right. never understood that. People criticize the second team. Well, the bench didn't play well. Well, that means the first team didn't play well if they had to play on the bring in the reserves. So you want people who maybe aren't as confident, you want to build their confidence level. You Good don't point. want to tear it down. Good point. Yeah, that makes total sense. Coach, you, you I mean, you've just way more than I thought you were going to get into, which is great. If, uh, if anybody has any questions, comments, concerns, uh, how can they get a hold of you? Well, they can email me, and that's it, all lowercase, A, the number 60, my last name, V-E-R-M-E-I-L, at Cisna, S I S N A dot com. So it reads A six zero Vermeil at Cisna's dot com. Got it. And I I won't answer questions by email because I'm not I'm, I'm not prolific at writing. But if they send me their phone number and the best time, first their questions, and then that's if I can answer them, their phone number and best time to call them. That's the way I always do it. I just I'm just not good the other way. That's awesome. And I. I know if uh, if anybody does have any questions, comments, concerns, obviously, you know, I'd be glad be to a, answer. A book of knowledge. Well, the other thing is, a lot many people share their knowledge with me, and I feel it's my responsibility to share what I've learned from others to, yeah. for the next group of people doing this because it's a great profession. Yep. And uh, as long as we treat it as a profession, it'll continue to be. Well, what good is all that information if you don't share it, right? Yeah, the other thing is if you can't communicate. I've, I've known guys, some that are very famous, and they couldn't communicate. And if you can't communicate. That, that's it. Game over. Game over. All right. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I, I appreciate it, Coach. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you'd like to suggest a topic or be a part of the show, Get in touch with Eric on any social media platform at Eric Feigl or email fcp at ericfeigl.com. Make sure to check back every Tuesday and Thursday for more fitness candor.